Hello friends and happy Independence Day, uh, wonderful birthday celebration of our great nation. We're going to be talking today about why this nation is great and what has been the secret of uh, our durability as a constitutional republic uh, and not as a democracy but a constitutional republic with critical pillars that uh, have sustained our liberty over the years and what we're going to find uh, to no surprise of anybody that's been watching this podcast is these crazy awesome great history shaping ideas all came from the same source the bible uh, and so the bible has been the wellspring of american liberty and will continue to be the source of our freedoms and we're going to make that case in today's podcast so we hope you'll tune in Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We want to wish you an early, happy 4th of July Independence Day as uh, this is airing the Thursday before we celebrate the birth of our nation. And I just love this topic. We're talking about liberty today. And I, again, I think it's a perfect timing as we uh, are getting ready to, to celebrate America and all that America stands for because uh, it's important for us to understand and connect the dots between the fact that the America that we enjoy and love and, the, and so much of the life that we enjoy in this country and the freedom freedoms that we enjoy in this country, which are unparalleled, uh, come from somewhere. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, again, we shouldn't take them for granted because these are these are massive, earth-shaking, disruptive ideas that turned the, turned the world upside down and right. gave us uh, a nation, a city on a hill that has enjoyed uh, blessings and liberties uh, and freedom for so many decades now. So. Yeah, and, and if we do take it for granted, the danger is we easily lose it and we don't teach it to the next generation they squander away and all of a sudden we're back to slaves and we're wondering what happened yeah right? so that's the danger of making sure that we understand how precious these rights are that we have in america yeah so so the author of course we're, we're in a wonderful book about the, the book that made your world and the author talks off by talking about you you love movies back back yeah. in the day i remember when uh, the raiders of the lost ark with harrison ford and uh yeah, came indiana out. jones indiana right. jones uh and uh, the whole idea was they were trying to go after and find the Ark of the Covenant. And, yeah. of course, they, they turned it, as he pointed out, into some, really some type of a... Uh, yeah, what's hidden in the Ark is like the angel of death. And, you yeah, know, it's, it's a cool a movie demonic, scene. Yeah. Right, it's a cool movie scene. Don't get me wrong. But he's saying that popularized a myth about what's really in the Ark. And, and what's truly... The, and he says what we end up doing is ignoring what's truly precious in the Ark. Yeah, right. so the question asked this wonderful question: What did why did Moses, David, and Solomon yeah. place the ark at the very heart of the nation? You know, it was the ark was in the holy of holies. I mean, that yeah. was the that was literally the 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 heart of the entire nation of worship and and everything in the nation of Israel. Uh, what was so special about that ark? And of course, we know the ark contained the law of God. Yeah. The and and uh, the Ten Commandments and, and the thus saith the Lord, right? Thou shalt not. And so, uh, what significance again did the Ten Commandments, did the law of God have on completely transforming uh, political thought and political systems, and really leading? We're giving the short answer, leading to yeah. so many of the the liberties that we enjoy in America today. These all go right back to those two tablets and to the larger law of yeah. God. Yeah, and and not just America today. I mean, right now in the world today, we have very few uh, totalitarian regimes. That this is crazy from the history of the world. If you study the history of of, of unknown world. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's like 90%, I don't know what percentage, largely ruled by kings and emperors with no regard for the normal people. But now you look at the world today, most nations, at least in name, are supposedly governed by the people. I mean, this is a phenomenal change and what caused this change. We have to, we live in the waters of liberty, the the, sea, the oceans of liberty, so we don't even understand right. how, what does it look like We're swimming that, and right? enjoying the freedom that we have, but we don't really know where it came from. And, yeah. and I think one of the big myths, you hear this a lot today, um, you hear people in America and around the world talking about uh, democracy. You know, you, you've heard the phrase too. You know, people like us were the greatest threat to democracy. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, democracy, 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 and and he goes all the way back to Herodotus, um, who create credited democracy as a source of Greek strength. In other words. Um, uh, democracy is rule of the people, and um, and that is celebrated as an American ideal. And America uh, is even called today we're a democracy, but really it's not technically correct. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, democracies have have devolved into what has been called mob rule, where the, the whoever has the biggest crowd wins the argument and gets their way. And this is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. Uh, it, it's societal chaos and everything else. And in fact, he, he goes back historically and talks about how Plato, who was a student of Socrates, you know, watched his mentor basically uh, murdered by mob rule. And, he, and it was Plato who called uh, uh, democracies the worst of all political systems. Yeah. So, so we're living in an America that celebrates democracy, and then you got philosophers like Plato who said this is the absolute worst you can possibly go is, is being in a democracy. Um, and, and so, what's the difference, you know? And why why are these things so bad? And what? And you know, he, he makes a comment too that that in Greece these democracies only lasted a couple decades and then they completely crumbled. Right. They, they had no durability, no sustainability. Right. If democracy was so great, then how did they end up with uh, Alexander the Great, who was the, exactly. you know, who was a tyrannical king who conquered and did all those kind yeah, of things. Exactly. Right. It, it was might makes mar right. And that's always what happened uh, out of the, the, the devolving of a democracy always led to some totalitarian right. kind of rule. And, I, and it's interesting looking at the, 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 the corresponding America today and realizing, wow, our, our quote democracy as God has been removed, as the law has been removed, as the word of God, as the basis of the law has been removed, worsening the fragility of American government now like never before. We're yeah. divided, and I think we're more fragile than Well, with the politicizing of, of the law enforcement, Justice Department, you've seen kind of like mob rule. We have the power, so we're going to prosecute, we're going to attack those, we're going we're gonna to hunt down, you know, parents to show a school board meeting yeah. because we have the power. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a reflection of that mob rule mentality. Is while we have the power, we gotta crush our opponent. Yeah. So so what you do is you have this tension between democracy, which is mob rule, and tyrannical like dictatorship, which yeah. is like one person's in charge. They both horrible system that leads to death, destruction, and corruption. Yeah. So what is the, the the secret to America and many other nations? Uh, our success, all prosperity, is this idea of a democratic republic. Right. right. And, and so let's talk about that, that idea of a republic because, you know, our founding fathers were wise. They studied 
you know, they're basically starting a nation from scratch. And so they studied all of history. They studied all, you know, uh, the, all the abuses, the, all the different forms of government. Mm -hmm. And basically they rejected Greek democracy for a constitutional republic, mm -hmm. uh, which required both the people and the rulers to be uh, constrained by the rule of law. Uh, and that rule of law had to come from somewhere. It came from a transcendent source. Yeah. It came from the Word of God. And they got these ideas from reading the Bible. They got these ideas about government from simply looking at the Scriptures. And a, a significant player in their understanding was Moses and the deliverance from Egypt. What they realized, first of all, is, is God was free. God was not constrained by any power. Uh, and God's desire was to set people made in his image and likeness free. So ideas like slavery, oppression, tyranny, these were all repugnant to anybody who was reading the Bible because it was God who was taking the initiative to enter human history and to liberate his people. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea, you know, when Jesus comes along and, and to, to, sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, right, um, these are strong biblical notions that the, that the foundation of our gift from God as human beings, life, the life that he's given us is to be lived in freedom, uh, not under the tyranny or the slavery of, of another power. So freedom in Moses and the Exodus was a powerful picture uh, of God liberating. And then taking after he liberated them from slavery, what did he give them? He gave them the law. He spoke to them. Uh, he spoke to Moses. He said, these are the, basically, these are the laws that I want you to live by. And he formed a covenant. And it's actually that covenant understanding between God and men that was the foundation of our constitutional republic and the fact that, that the constitution um, is based is modeled after God's covenant relationship with Israel. Yeah. That these were radical ideas that what would hold us together is a written agreement, not simply the power of our ruler, all right? Uh, in other words, it was the people making covenant with their ruler uh, and the law of God providing the foundation for all of that. Uh, and I love what Horace Greeley, the founder and editor of the New York Tribune, said, it is impossible to enslave a mentally, uh, to enslave mentally or socially a Bible-reading people. What a powerful statement. Again, we look at this today, the New York Tribune or New York Times or New York anything, we think that how far we've come. But here's the founder and editor who recognize that you, you cannot enslave people who are you know, biblically knowledgeable. Yeah. Uh, and I think, again, today, the, the, the heartbeat of freedom is found uh, in those who love God and love His Word and understand this is our birthright, uh, and that's where you find patriots. Uh, uh, Patrick Henry, he quotes, give me liberty or give me death. Um, these type of people, he said, are only found in cultures uh, founded upon the Bible and cultures that have viewed freedom uh, as a virtue worth dying for. And so this is where we get the whole patriot spirit in America. Uh, patriots like like uh, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Who, other nations don't talk this way because they've never seen this this uh, concept of freedom lived out. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I grew up in Virginia. Patrick Henry obviously yep. is from Virginia. Yep. Patrick Henry High School, and uh, and and at elementary school when I first came to the United States, I hear, you know, I grew up in the church, you know, reading the Bible. Uh, taught 
Sunday school and Bible, and then I remember going to school and listening to the teachers talk about Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. I mean, I heard that since I was elementary oh, school yeah. kids. Great speech. But, but never have I connected those dots to say, well, where did where this idea of this passion for liberty so much that says, you know what, well, I will take death before I'll be yeah. enslaved again. That, that passion for liberty, for reformation, for revolution, to, to say we got to remain a free people. Where is that pa- unction coming from? Because most of the world just says, well, no, I'm going to, you know, I'll be enslaved because, you know, I don't want to get killed. I don't want to die. You know, where yeah. that oh, spirit comes from? Well, it comes from the Bible. Yeah. But, but, you know, never someone connected that for me. Yeah. You know? I was on a tour of that old area one time that was so powerful. We actually went to the to the church where Patrick Henry gave that speech. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of the, the names of the players that were there gathering for that meeting in that church, I mean, it was the who's who of our founding fathers. And, uh, and Patrick Henry gave that rousing speech, which I've, I've read in its entirety. It's, it's, it's like a sermon. It's powerful and dramatic and colorful and moving. Yeah. Um, and it was wild to be sitting you know, in those pews, recognizing the, the history that had taken place in that, in that room. Um, but again, ideas have consequences, and ideas came from somewhere. And I think the point we're trying to make is that it wasn't until people started reading the Bible during the Reformation. In fact, he talks a lot about the French Huguenots uh, who fled from, you know, from France for religious liberty after the massacres that were taking place there. Um, how did they endure the persecution? How did, why, did they, why did they flee? Why were they resisting? What were they protesting? All of these things came from their reading of the scriptures and realizing that we don't have to guess what God's view is on certain things. God has spoken. And because God has spoken, we don't have to listen to what the king has to say speaking on behalf of God because we have what God said in a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we go back to some of the earlier chapters when, when the scriptures were translated in the language of the people. It, it really led to what we are now experiencing as freedom around the world because, again, God has chosen to, sp- to speak to us. And so whether it's the pope or whether it's the king, um, we can compare what they're saying to a written constitution, which is the Bible, and be able to say, wait a minute, that's not God's view on that. And so all of a sudden the scriptures became, as he said, a durable kind of uh, freedom uh, that was made possible as we submitted to the rule of God and as rulers and their representatives submitted to the same, uh, you know, laws. Yeah. Uh, and this was radical because the law started taking uh, precedence over either positions or people or institutions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, I've talked about this with you before we got going today, this whole idea of an immutable transcendent law on which we base our national law. Um, this is huge because I've watched this. You know, when you try to play the, pl- the pluralism game in, in public arenas, you know, we have to be neutral. You've heard this, like, oh, you, you can't bring your Christian beliefs into this place. You know, well, what beliefs are you bringing? And if law, if law does not have a transcendent base, then basically the law is whatever the power group says it is. And it has no teeth. And that's kind of where we're at today in America. The laws are actually being used to attack our enemies. Um, and we see the weaponization of so many branches of government. But if the law does not come from a higher source than just human opinion, uh, it has no teeth, it has no durability. And, and that's why we've, I think the church is so critical. We've got to get back to calling people back to the law of God. And we can't be ashamed as Christians. Well, who are you to impose your beliefs on me kind of thing? It's like, you know what? 
Let's make an argument for why, or a better argument in a way, for why we need the law of God and why the law of God is true and why it is the foundation for any durable constitutional republic, and then make the case for what happens when we remove the law of God, because we can talk about the, the bloodbath that was the French Revolution. Yeah. And I think we're moving toward, you know, I hate to say this, but in my opinion, if, if there's not a great revival, we're moving toward a bloodbath in America, not that anybody's looking, uh, you know, for violence, but that's inevitably what happens when when godlessness takes over a nation. Well, we already have great violence all yeah. throughout the nations. That's yeah. mean, most time not reported yeah. uh, in our cities and in the riots and whatnot. It's already kind of happening, right? It's going to be on a oh, greater, yeah. greater scale. Yeah, right? Sh because, uh, shocking. The, the thing is, without transcendent law, it becomes someone's opinion. It becomes a source of force. Like, if I, you're my political opponent, I'm going to pass a law while I'm in power simply, not because of transcendent overarching principles based on the truth of God or reality itself, but to attack you, what's going to happen is people are going to disrespect those laws. So sure. you, it's only going to be based on force of, uh, enforced by, by power or by force, right? But what that does is cause lawlessness because it causes resentment and people are like, well, law means nothing anymore. You're going to arbitrarily put the speed sign, uh, speed sign here just to restrict my freedom, not because it's good for everybody. And what that does is call even more lawlessness, right? Exactly. And more people disrespecting the law and more people just saying whatever, it doesn't even matter. So even the good laws are ignored because you, you put all these bad laws in place, yeah, right? Absolutely. And it destroys the consciousness of a nation. And well, that's exactly well, what America is today. We're talking today about a two-tiered system of justice. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just watching some of the debates taking place in Congress and, uh, you know, they're bringing out opposition points like well what about this situation why hasn't the rule of law been applied here and then i think the as you said the average american person is like forget the law and forget the rulers they're, they're only self-serving you yeah. know if this if this if i did this i'd be in jail but because you're a politician you can do it and you get away with it or you're from an elite yeah. family and and there's no consequences for you um and so again the law becomes something that you just use as a tool to to you know, plummet your enemies. It caused great cynicism, right? I mean, think about the IRS, right? If you selectively prosecute and target, you know, your political opponents, then, then people are going to be like, you know what? Why am I paying? Why am I trying to be fair and pay my, you know, equal share? I mean, obviously, Christians understand we need to do that because we're we're under God. But for people who don't believe in God, they look at that picture. They're like, you're just selectively targeting whoever your opponent is. Why should I respect these laws anymore? I'm going to go and try and cheat on my taxes even more. What that does is cause just it's chaos all throughout our nation and no everyone so then you need more agents to go enforce the law because no one's obeying right. because you undermine the law yourself and, th and this destruction is rampant more and more of our nation so so i mean that's why like so many people are saying you guys need to restrain this political uh, uh weaponizing of your political system or justice system because it's destroying the fabric of our nation that is the reason why people don't but, longer respect you but if you're in power you'd be like why the weaponizing of all these systems helps me punish my enemies and helps right. me stay in power because there's no there's no authority that they appeal to that's higher Absolutely. than themselves. Right. And that's why I've said before, the most dangerous person to elect to office is not a Christian. It, it's a it's a person who has no authority higher than themselves yeah. uh, because then they become their own little god and power becomes the their only goal. Right. And so he does a really great job here talking about how the Mosaic law, which was God's words, not Moses's words. This was not Moses saying, hey. This is what I, you know, I came up with, guys, and I, everybody listened to me. No, he came down and he said, hey, this is what the Lord says. This is God basically establishing a model community. And there's one part in the book of Deuteronomy where the Lord is saying to Moses, hey, where's there people like you guys who are enjoying the wisdom 
that comes from God and the blessing that comes from following God's laws. And so Israel was set apart as a model nation, founded basically as a constitutional republic under God uh, and under the law of God, with Moses, their, the leader, responsible to obey the law just as much as the, the average person was. And, and even that was a radical model that was uh, uh, never seen before. So he brings out the point, and you know, if you and I were talking about this, people would say, oh, you, what are you guys, every time a Christian speaks, what are you guys arguing for, a theocracy? And theocracy has this crazy, fearful notion about what it is, right? But he brings out the question, theocracy or democracy? And he says they're necessary complements because the human law flowed from God's law. In other words, God's law became the basis for human law. Um, and, uh, and that was the transcendent authority that gave the law itself authority. Um, the Bible, of course, depicted God as the ultimate ruler, and humans were made in the image and likeness of God and given authority to rule. And so we get to this whole concept of the voice of the people, you know. Hey, we need to hear and follow the voice of the people. But again, the voice of the people by itself becomes the voice of the mob. And so uh, the voice of the people, if the mob is not submitted to the rule of God, you have problems. And, right. And once well, again... think about the mob in, in, in Israel when, when oh. Moses was ruling the mob. How, oh, how yeah. long did that go? Oh, yeah. Right. They yeah. wanted to stone Moses, They right? became a mob, absolutely, right. and wanted to stone Moses. How about when uh, David's men were all upset and everything, they wanted to stone him? Yep. I mean, it's very easy for the, for the emotions of the people to be riled up. In fact, politicians have been good at doing that intentionally to create a crazy mob out there that, that causes chaos right. uh, to accomplish their purposes. Um, so this is interesting. Nations were not bound to obey wicked commands of popes or kings claiming to be the voice of God. Um, so in other words, in the past, what the pope said was infallible. Or what the king said, the king was, uh, you know, divine right, had divine rights. So what the king said was the will of God. And all of a sudden when you have the Bible, and of course this was the whole foundation of the Reformation, uh, and looking at what God said, you could, say, you could compare what the Bible said to what the Pope was saying. And if the Pope was saying something that wasn't in the Bible, the Pope was wrong. Mm. Or if the king said something that wasn't in the Bible, the king was wrong. And it was the responsibility of the people the voice of the people was coming through the voice of Scripture, and it was the, it was the people that held their leaders responsible. This was unheard of again right. in human history. Well, so when that starts happening, that's when the nation starts experiencing great prosperity, right? Absolutely. When people start reading the Bible and start holding the leaders accountable, because what well, that leads to a lack of corruption, right? And transcendent law does that, right? Yeah. So so elevating the law of God above the positions of men was a huge principle, and we'll get into that yeah. a little bit later. The other principle they got from Moses was uh, the rule of elders. Talk about that a little bit, because this is where we kind of get our, our representative form of government. Right, right. So it wasn't just Moses leading the people. In fact, when it got overwhelming, God said, hey, you need to, you know, right. Jethro said, hey, you need to raise up some folks to help. Right, and, and it's interesting he pointed out these 70 people weren't selected by Moses. They were selected by their own people. They were representative of the... Many of these elders were probably in place before Moses even came to the scene. And then we have right? the leaders of the 12 tribes. Right, right. So now we have tribal leadership, and we can compare. This is where, by the way, our, our constitutional form of government came up with the whole idea of elected representatives. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the difference between popular vote and electoral college, which yeah. is rooted on the representative Right. Uh, understanding of uh, the collective voice of people in, in each state, not just mob rule right. uh, based on sheer uh, majority. Um, but this whole idea that 
that an individual could represent the will of the people that he was representing. Yeah. So it w- it wasn't all just independent votes. It was it was uh, electing a senator or electing a congressman or a state representative or in other words, some local magistrate that represented the larger will of the people. Right. Sorry. All of course under God. Right. And uh, and these were radical radical ideas when you're raised in, in totalitarian regimes or you or or a king who had the right to dictate whatever or a pope who simply whatever the pope said that was the law and now all of a sudden they're going wait a minute that's not what we learned from moses that's right. not what we saw in the bible we also talk about a division of powers checks and balances um, and the separation of uh, political authority and ecclesiastical authority and we might add familial authority uh, talk a little bit about this division of power and checks and balances and why that's so important. Uh, yeah, I mean, biblically, you always have the prophetic voice coming along the king that's pointed by God to say, hey, what are you doing, Samuel and Saul? And yep. Samuel later with David and Nathan with David and whatnot and all these, you know, Elijah and Ahab, I think that's the king. So the prophetic voice, okay, checks on the king to be the conscience, quote, unquote, yep. conscience of the king to say, what are you doing? Yep. And, and, and what I was not aware of even, um, you know, even historically that happened quite a bit with the popes or the bishops. Some of them came alongside as check. Now, a lot of them were corrupt and they were in league with the king or the emperor right. or whatever. Right. But a lot of them came alongside and they checked the king and said, you need, this is wrong. You can't be doing this. Yeah. Because they understand human, uh, human beings are fallible. We make yeah. mistakes. We need checks and balances. I know I need checks and balances. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so this whole idea of, uh, uh, of different spheres of authority is really, really important to promoting liberty. And so you go back historically, and it started off where government mm-hmm. was king absolute authority and trampled on the rights of the people. Uh, and we saw all the persecution of Christians in the Roman uh, Empire, and he kind of highlights some of these Nero burning Christians and light, turning yeah. Christians into human candles, Diocletian. And then you get to Constantine and, and Theodosius, and that's when Christianity becomes the law of the land. And what happened there was something very, very significant because the leader of the church, the bishop or the Mm -hmm. pope, all of a sudden was escalated to a place of great power because now everybody under Roman Empire had to be a Christian, right? Had to profess Christianity. It was the religion of the land. So now you've got the church growing in great authority and power and actually holding, you know, uh, some of these emperors, you know, we talk about in the book uh, examples of public penance where now you've got the church saying, you shouldn't have gone in and slaughtered all these people, and now you have to do penance. And actually, these leaders coming under the authority of a very powerful church that's raised up. Yeah. Of course, that didn't work very, out very well because the, the corruption swung from the, you know, governmental side to the church side, yeah. and we have all these abuses throughout history of, of uh, wicked and corrupt popes who use their authority to, to tyrannically oppress the people, just like wicked government authorities had. But the greatest evil came when we have the wedding of the two together. Yeah. So now we have the church and the state almost synonymous uh, with power. Uh, and you have some of the most uh, horrific times in human history when, when that's taking place. And so um, uh, we talk about the limits of governmental power, and he talks about Archbishop Stephen Langton and the Magna Carta, which was one of the first documents uh, that really 
codified the limitations on the power of the king. The people saying, all right, king, you have, we recognize your authority, but your authority is limited. And this also spilled over to the church. Okay, pope, we recognize your authority, but your authority is limited. These were radical because kings and popes had unlimited authority up until that point. And so this whole idea of consent of the common council of the kingdom that, that there was a group of people, not just one, but a group of people that held the king responsible and basically kept his, right. kept his toes to the line, you know. And this is where we get this idea because a lot of it came out of kings just randomly saying, we're going to tax you, we need more money. Uh, and the people like, we're already being taxed to death. Right. So this idea of no taxation without representation, which is certainly something every American history student would, would learn, that goes all the way back to the Magna Carta. Um, uh, and basically limiting the power of kings to tax the people without representation. And, and the bi biblical foundation of this, a lot of people might not realize, is when Jesus said to the question about paying taxes to Caesar, he said, render Caesar what's Caesar, and render God what's God. Yep. And he's, by that statement, he's saying there are death-defined uh, boundaries to the rule of civil government. And they should be honored to a certain degree, but there are boundaries that must be set, you know. Yep. And, and that's what comes, I mean, right now, the freedom of the press, for example, freedom of speech, our, our ability to rights, rights, right? Yep. Bear arms, uh, freedom of religion, all that came from these boundaries set for the federal government that our founding father says, uh, the encroachment of federal power is so innate to human nature of kings and tyrants that we got to put these amendments to safeguard ourselves. You know, the Second Amendment wasn't to safeguard against, you know, no intruders per se right. is really against the government because right. they understand because those boundaries has to be so set. So we recognize that our civil liberties came from God and that the king, you know, in the, in the old days, if if I didn't like you or you were a threat to my to my uh, power, I could just draw up some, some charges against you yeah. and we'd drag you in and execute you because I'm the king and, and I, could, I could accuse you of doing all kinds of horrific things. Um, in fact, you know, you look at the, the land grab uh, in the Bible, uh, Naboth's vineyard, right? Uh, with Ahab and Jezebel, mm -hmm. um, you know he was pouting because he he wanted to buy the vineyard and the guy didn't want to sell it. And so what's his wicked wife do? She says, "Well, we'll go trump up. We'll, we'll pay a couple guys to charge him with some false charges, and then we'll kill him, and then we'll take his vineyard." Yep. This this was happening all over the world, and there was no accountability for for leaders like that until there there was a codification of the civil liberties, the due process of law, all these things came out of a biblical understanding of freedom and a limitation of power, um, which they learned from the Bible. So secular and sacred authorities would often come together, and the greatest example of this wickedness uh, was the story of King Charles IX um, and the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. This was when the church and state came together. Both of them were having their powers challenged by Bible-believing Huguenots. Yeah, Protestant, French Protestants. Protestants. And so what the king ordered was that the gates of the city be chained, and then they went around randomly and just a total bloodbath and slaughtered every uh, uh, Huguenot, French Huguenot, uh, Protestant, Bible-believing person. And the reason was the people were resisting the edicts of a wicked king, and the people were resisting the edicts of a wicked pope. 
And uh, and this was to me one of the highlights of bad government. Uh, the the estimates are between five thousand and thirty thousand people were murdered that day, uh, simply because they defied the authority because they placed the Bible over the words of a king or the Bible over the words of the Pope. So this you know again we think of the freedom that we have in America today. This was purchased by the blood of people throughout the centuries who simply read the scriptures and realized, wait a minute, God has a better way. So interesting. Again, Virginia, right? I, I bet tons of Huguenots fled to Virginia during that time because growing up, there was Huguenot High School. There's Huguenot Row. Wow. There was Huguenot all over. I never knew any of that meant. I was just like Huguenot. So what's a I, Huguenot? Yeah. yeah, what's a Huguenot? You know, what's a Huguenot? And as I'm reading this chap- chapter, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like the rich history yeah. Of, of what they went through and what they represent and what they did. Well, even the name, you know, Catholic Protestant. Um, yeah. We forget Protestant. What's the root word there? It's protest. That the Protestants were protesting. What were they protesting? They, they were they were saying we have a book that speaks for God and yeah. that we are accountable to God's rule of law, not to man's rule of law. Uh, again, radical foundation of freedom right. that we enjoy today. The whole rule yeah. of law, which di- dictates that you know, no, you just don't get to make things up, steal people's property, live a lawless life. Everybody is supposed to be under the same rule of law uh, and experience the same due process of law. So he gets into a real important thing. We've only got a few more minutes left, but I want to just highlight this trilogy of freedom because after St. Bartholomew Day Massacre, um, it was an eye-opening awakening uh, for so many people that this this is wicked government, wicked church, and, and something needs to be done. And so he talks about a trilogy of books that came forth that were critical of government and offered a better biblical way for government um, and really moved us from a medieval form of government to a constitutional form of government that we enjoy today. Uh, One gentleman was the name of uh, Francois Hotman, a, a French legal jurist. Um, he rejected political absolutism. He said kings are basically responsible to the people and uh, promoted the rule of law, the, rel- the reliance on the Bible alone as the foundation of the rule of law. So this whole idea of political absolutism, divine right of kings, challenge. And you can imagine kings were not real happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to Theodore Besa, who was another uh, French theologian who talked about the rights of magistrates. This is really powerful. Uh, the idea that inviolable human rights led to the foundation of the American Bill of Rights, and that this is crazy. If you're a magistrate or a lower uh, civil authority, and the authority higher than you is doing something wrong, mm-hmm. according to Scripture, you have the right to disobey that magistrate above you. So, for instance, th- we saw this happen during COVID. The governor of Michigan was passing all kinds of crazy uh, uh, laws, unconstitutional laws, trampling religious liberties left and right. There were um, uh, sheriffs who basically came right out and said, I will not enforce this because this is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Those are the checks and balances that we got from these writers who said, wait a minute, the, the king is not absolute in his authority. The civil magistrates below the king have a right to represent the Constitution and the people. 
their rights were they were there to serve the people and they were a necessary firewall against the trampling of liberties by the person at the top of the of the you know authorities chain yeah. if that person was wrong they had a moral responsibility to disobey the law now again i'm wondering where's the church today we get into all these issues like we have a moral responsibility to disobey ungodly laws and yet we have a whole group of pastors today that just roll over and claim Romans 13, right? right. And just say, well, if, you know, our job is to obey authority. No, your job isn't to obey ungodly authorities who are promoting wickedness that goes right in the face of, of the freedom uh, that is sustained by the Scripture. Your, your primary authority is to God and to His Word, not into the laws of some magistrate that are that violate the word of God. And so it's just amazing to me how far away we've fallen from appreciating the freedoms that, that these people uh, fought and, and died for. Well, I mean, this example from the, the St. Bar's Day Bartholomew, Massacre, yeah. uh, I mean, it took a massacre of thousands of people in cold blood. I mean, really out, out of religious persecution and cold blood for many people to waken up and write these treaties that changed the history of the world. And I feel like that that's like the history of, of our world is like we need these grand awakenings for people to realize, wow, this is really serious. Yep, yep. You know, so what does it take? Now, wisdom says, you know what, let's not wait till things get really serious and there's massacres for us to wake up. You yep. know, that's that seed where history is going and let's make some changes now. But I don't know if people will be waking out of their complacency. It's our only hope is to get back to the scriptures. And, you know, this is why under Israel, the king was required to read the law. The king, the king had to read through the law of God because the king was submitted to the moral law of God. And, uh, and, and that's a radical concept, right? So we should be teaching our kids the scriptures again and, and connecting the dots for them between the freedoms that we have and the, and the freedom that, where those freedoms come from. They come yeah. from God Almighty. Uh, very quickly here, uh, this whole notion that public officials are servants of the people came out of this trilogy of writings. This led to the idea that the American people or American Congress uh, could impeach and remove the president. You know, the Congress is the people's house. And so the, the president, the, we're not here at the service of the president. The president is serving the people in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a radical idea. The primary duty was to the kingdom and not to the king. Um, the primary uh, call to an American politician is public service and fidelity to the Constitution. That's why we swear to the Constitution. So all of these ideas, again, come from Scripture. Uh, If the king issued an unjust order, the lower magistrates have the right to disobey the king in order to obey God and to defend the people. So this whole idea of an independent judiciary, um, in other words, the judges don't serve the the whims of of the king. The, the judiciary serves the Constitution and the principles of law. Uh, and so, that, again, what a radical, radical idea. Um, another critical book, and I'm, I'm actually going to order this one. I have not read this one yet. A book by, I believe, a man by the name of Mornay, Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants. This, this was a book that helped shape the American re- Revolution, give the, the, give the, um, the moral principles and the uh, political uh, philosophy necessary to lead to freedom. Uh, basically, he said the people have the obligation to obey their kings, who in turn were obliged to obey God. 
Um, if evil, though, if the kings were evil, the people may dispose of, or dispose of them or depose mm-hmm. of them. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And so I love this. America does not have kings. America has presidents. A president, the author pointed out, was the first among equals. Mm. He or she presides in an assembly of equals. So the president is not greater than, you know, in America is the only place where you're president one day and then after your term ends, you're walking around shopping at Walmart like everybody else. Right. That's That happens in no other country um, because you're simply uh, the first among equals. You're not the king uh, given some special place under God that puts you in a whole other realm. Um, you're just simply one of us. And, and again, what a radical idea. And so we see common people in America could eventually become president. Um, not You don't have to come from some wealthy elite family, although right. even that's, we're losing <laughs> supposedly, that. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly, I should be. Well, it's the way it was for many, many years in our country. Yeah. Um, we can talk, again, we're out of time, but uh, John Knox, John Calvin, um, Samuel Rutherford, the law is king, uh, so many of the biblical Puritan political theorists uh, that laid the foundation for who we are today. Um, and, uh, and I thought this was good. The Bible, the most quoted source of our founding fathers. Uh, and you talked about these, these pillars of liberty, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, the press as the prophet, supposed to be holding these people accountable. Yeah, not the mainstream uh, press today. Yeah, checks and balances, and the individual autonomy of institutions such as family, church, and state. Um, these are all, all these ideas are, are who we are today and what's make, what makes America, America. And every single one of these ideas was first preached in the pulpit. Right. And then, so, so we talk about the genius of our founding fathers. Our founding fathers were discipled by their pastors. We should be talking about the genius of the Word of God because it was our, the pastors that preached these principles from the pulpit and preached them to the political leaders who then took these ideas and applied them to... Uh, law and order and government and it's why we have the beautiful system of government it's the only reason why america has had the stability that we've had for now well over two centuries um and uh and there is no place like america but all of this as we pointed out all of this is in jeopardy because there are folks today that are trying to hijack our american revolution and make it look more like the french revolution and turn it into a godless de- democracy which will eventually be destroyed by the mob right and we're seeing the handwriting of that on the, the, the move to for example abolish election Collars, they can talk about all the flowery language. In the days, they return to mob rule. Or adding yeah. more Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Justice, Court right. justices, right. Um, so that we get our way, and you know, right. uh, we have our majority. Make, uh, well, st- make DC uh, or Puerto Rico statehood and stuff like that. I mean, it's just it's, it's, a, it's, it's power. How can we get more power because mob rule and just get around the systems and not right. submit to God Almighty versus persuasion? Yeah. you say, hey, we just want power so. and and biblical tolerance and all these things yep. that the, 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 the scriptures teach us. So yeah. it, it really is. And first of all, it's an amazing time to look back and, and realize how special. America is there. There, I say this all the time, but there is no place like America in the world. And uh, and rather than sit back as some clergy in America today are suggesting, well, you know, persecution is not such a bad thing. You know, blah blah blah. Uh, we should be fighting for our nation. You know, uh, patriotism 
as we have argued, the whole notion of Christian nationalism as being an evil thing is silly. Thank God for the, for the Christian patriots who founded this nation and connected the dots between the Bible and good government. Uh, we need more pastors like that. We need more churches that are going to stand for things like this. And, you know, as this is being broadcast on um, June the 29th, I just want to invite you out to Living Stones because this coming Sunday we're going to be preaching our, our pulpit freedom message, and that's exactly what we do. I feel like I'm simply standing in the shoes of, of great you know, uh, men of God mm-hmm. who filled the pulpits with truth and, and really cried out for liberty and gave us a model and a picture of, of what biblical freedom looks like. And I would like to suggest we need more pulpits like that today. So come on out. All three services, we're going to be preaching a freedom uh, pulpit freedom message uh, and connecting the dots between liberty and the Bible, just like we did in this episode today. So. Yeah, man, we need to treasure our liberty. We need to teach this to our children, to, so that least, so that they won't lose their liberty. You know, as we continue to value our liberty and con- continue to communicate and, and, and speak out, and understand the connection between biblical understanding, biblical worldview, to the very liberty we enjoy today. That we can have our own house, that we can we can have money to you know start our own business and have our own choice to what to do and teach our kids, instruct our ki- kids. Yeah. In way. All those are awesome liberties that many nations don't have. And we just came from this ridiculous COVID episode where we were actually told. I was told many times as we were trying to stand up for civil liberties, that we were being selfish. That if you cared about freedom, you weren't caring for your neighbor, and that, and you were being evil and selfish. You know, I just want to say loudly and clearly, standing up for basic freedoms and liberties and, and the, the foundations of, of what makes America America is not selfish. Uh, what's selfish is caving under the pressure of un, unjust, ungodly government and, and cowering in fear and allowing your liberties to be trampled so that your children have no idea the, the life you lived and the liberties you enjoyed because you you had some liberal telling you that to, to fight for freedom is to be selfish. Um, no, to not to fight for freedom is to be stupid and, uh, and allow yourself to be placed in slavery once again. Been there, done that. We've seen the record of history. Uh, no freedom-loving American should ever want to go backwards into the tyranny and oppression that is the history of the world prior to the American Revolution. Yeah. So anyway, hope you enjoyed this today. We got so much more to talk about, um, and uh, we'll continue this theme on Sunday. So hope you can join us at Living Stones this week. Until then, have a great week.